All right. Well, I think we should provide some bikes, don't you think, for some people who are out doing some good, good work, caring for people. Uh, so these, um, these pencil cases, uh, it's, WOW stands for uh, Widows and Orphans, um, and we are looking at helping uh, out. Uh, so if, if you want to help yourself to a pencil case, do you remember years ago we did these uh, baby bottle uh, giving towards the Pregnancy Help Center and the outreach event that we were doing with them? This is just another way to remind us um, something tangible where you can put uh, a check in there, or you can go to the debit machine and get the receipt and put it in here, um, or cash, whatever you can do. Whether it's a little or a lot, it's, uh, it's all going to go towards helping people. Uh, we have so much in Canada, don't we, when it comes to just assuming we can get around, whether it's public transportation or our own vehicles. Um, but these are people who are walking great distances because they care about others. We just want to make their life a little bit easier by putting a bicycle um, kind of under their seat so they can, you know, get moving again, right? So thank you in advance for helping there. You can go to one of our kiosks in the lobby. You'll see where you can help yourself to a, a pencil case and bring it back during the next uh, few weeks as we are, um, again, giving towards Christmas at King, uh, putting the under-resourced in our budget, and all of us doing our part. It's amazing how when we all do a little, it becomes a lot. And uh, so you can head over to kingstreet.org and learn a little bit, little bit more about what we're prioritizing this year. And um, so I want to invite everyone to participate by putting the under-resourced in your budget. Uh, Christmas is not far off. Um, you know, Christmas Eve is fast approaching. We're having two uh, one-hour candlelight worship gatherings, uh, 4 p.m. and 5.30 and uh, make a note of that in your calendar. And then um, because Christmas Day and New Year's Day falls on a Sunday, we will be gathering for worship for a one-hour worship gathering right here. And uh, this is not to make you feel guilty in any way. You know that I don't like to do that, right? I don't want to make you feel guilty. Um, but we've always stayed open when Christmas Day falls on a Sunday. And the reason why is we do very much a low-maintenance volunteer Sunday. It's very simple because we just want you to come and set aside an hour for worship. Um, that's the day on our calendar where we celebrate the birth of Jesus. So I just think it falls on a Sunday. We should gather for worship. That's my humble opinion. Uh, but please don't let the guilt fall too heavily on you if you have other plans. But we would love to have you come and join us. We will be open. And um, we will be, be doing so just to, again, honor the Lord both on Christmas Day and New Year's Day at 10.30 a.m., just one-hour worship gathering. It'll be very simple, uh, but we're looking forward to that. Um, okay, so today marks the last of our uh, series on mission together. And um, we've been talking about uh, what it means to celebrate small group communities, circles are better than rows, about what it looks like for us to expand our reach, uh, 611 King Street West in person, live streaming, good news for you, we're making progress with that, so over the next number of weeks you'll hear more, and, uh, and then as well we're wide open to the spirit blowing upon the sails that we hoist in his good time for a third location, and so um, we are, we're talking about what's happening here should be exported far and wide, and, uh, and then we've talked about celebrating diversity intergenerational, multi-ethnic, it's who we are as the church, a little foretaste of heaven on the other side. And then um, last week we talked about intentional living, how uh, consistent with our passions and spiritual gifts and our life season, we give ourselves to service. It's part of the way that God by his spirit forms Christ in us. It's about getting the job done, but it's about so much more than that. It's about getting people done. 
And when we serve, Christ is formed in us. And then now today, we're going to talk about this idea of how the mission is both uh, local and global. And this will be the last of our, our scripture talks in this, uh, in this series called On Mission Together. So uh, if you're able, would you stand with me? And we're going to recite or we're going to read our passage to ponder for today. Typically, we have one verse that we take with us throughout a series, but this series has been a little bit different, and so we've been looking at different passages along the way. Jesus uh, says that you and I, those of us who put our saving faith in Christ, are both salt and light. Salt penetrates that which it has contact with in order to enhance flavor and to preserve. We are to preserve the good things in society, and we are to provide a beautiful, zesty taste for, for others in life. And then we're supposed to be a light in a dark world. So, uh, would you join me by reading Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. These are the words of Jesus, loud enough for your neighbor to hear. Here we go. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, the founder of the People's Church in Toronto uh, back in 1928, his name was um, Oswald J. Smith. Um, he was known for saying this phrase that I have taken with me for a number of decades now, the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. Doesn't that make good sense? It's just like the law of physics. The light that shines the furthest, like a flashlight pointed in a dark room, the light that shines the furthest shines uh, the brightest right up close to its source. And so it's a beautiful picture for us of the mission of the church or the mission of the Lord Jesus, that we are on mission both at home and in faraway places. The gospel is not for a privileged select few. The gospel is for everyone. Um, Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who belong to it or all who live in it. And so um, this world uh, belongs to God. And the people who live in it, they were made by him, for him. And so uh, the mission of the church is never supposed to just be isolated in one locale, but it is supposed to be exported. So three thoughts for us to consider today, starting with number one, is this. The mission of Jesus, the mission starts at home, but has no fixed address. I like that. The mission starts at home, but has no fixed address. Um, the book of Acts um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The book of Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament, uh, written by Dr. Luke, who also wrote the self-titled gospel account. Matthew, Mark, Luke, he wrote part one, the gospel, part two, the mission of the church or the works, the acts of the apostles, the acts of the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful, beautiful chronicle, so to speak, or chronicling of the work of the first church by the Spirit that enabled them to do everything that they did do. And the opening chapter, the first eight verses, are critical to understanding all the rest of what happens in the next 28 chapters. 
And so um, let, me, let me read the first eight verses for us. We're going somewhere with this. The mission starts at home but has no fixed address. So Luke writes and he says, in my former book, Theophilus. Now, uh, biblical scholars struggle to understand who Theophilus was. He's not mentioned anywhere else in scripture. And so there are different views. He may be an obscure individual that we just don't know anything about, but others believe, which is my position, that um, two tiny Greek words get put together in this person's name. Theos, which means God, phileo, which means love. And so he says, in my former book, those of you who are loved by God. I like that. In my former book, Theophilus. In my former book, those of you who are loved by God. And he continues, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. This is his gospel account. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. These appearances of Jesus were not isolated moments. This was over a period of 40 days. On one occasion, over 500 people at one time saw the resurrected king. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. And the rest of the book of Acts hinges largely on this. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so John the baptizer, the cousin of the Lord Jesus, uh, he is immersing people in water. And then now Luke says, wait in Jerusalem because you're going to be immersed, saturated in the Spirit. In fact, you'll need to wait for that moment in time because everything else I'm inviting you to do will not be possible without this immersion in the Spirit. And so this isn't just social work that the first Christians were doing. It wasn't just nice programmatic ideas to try to make their little corner of the world a better place. This was something that required an endowment of the Holy Spirit of God. The Almighty was required. He was not just a factor, he was a critical factor in the mission of the early church. And so he says, don't get anxious and get busy and get running ahead of yourselves. Wait in Jerusalem. It's a commandment. Luke says that it was a command. He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem. Stay. Wait. The Spirit needs to come upon you. Then they gathered around him and asked him. This is not a new question. It's maybe been asked a little bit more frequently since the pandemic, and it comes and goes in history, and we should always have an eye on the soon return of the Lord Jesus. But they asked him this question, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, very important response, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Don't spend too much energy speculating about dates and times. Just get busy doing what I call you to do after you've been clothed from above with the Spirit's presence and power. He continues, but you will receive power. Let me get you back onto the right conversation thread. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. That word can also be translated martyrs. You will be my martyrs, the ones who will lay their lives down in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So they're in Jerusalem and he says, don't go 
anywhere. Stay here. The Spirit needs to do His work. He needs to come upon you and give you the power you need to do His kind of work His way. And He says, oh, by the way, you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to far away places. The mission is both local, Jerusalem, and it is global. It reaches to the ends of the earth. So here's the challenge. Waiting is one of the hardest things to do, isn't it, as humans? Advent is about coming. It's an invitation to be watchful and to wait. And the reason why we struggle with waiting is because we're anxious to get going. We want to get moving. And so there's this rub, this tension that we face. Waiting is one of the hardest things to do, but it's what Jesus asked them to do. Going can be a challenge because once we get comfortable where we are, one of the last things we want to do is go somewhere else. So Jesus says, wait, it's going to be hard because you want to get active. Do you know evangelicals are known for their activist approach to life and mission? It's not a bad thing, but we love activity. Charismatics over the years have maybe introduced the idea of waiting. Be still and know that I am God. It's in the stillness that we get to know who God is. And it's in the waiting that we get empowered in our going. So waiting is hard to do because we have an activist way about us. Going can be hard because once we've been somewhere a little while, we grow comfortable there. Both can be challenging, and both were the experience of the early Christians. So remember this. This is the best way to remember it. Maybe for some of you this isn't new. For some it might be. Acts 1.8, right? They were to um, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Acts 1.8. Acts 8.1, this is like seven chapters later, right after Stephen was executed, Saul, who was breathing out murderous threats against the people who belonged to the way, that's a way of saying that they were Christians, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, they belonged to the way, and Saul was executing them, giving approval to Stephen's stoning. The first verse of chapter uh, 8, Acts 8.1 says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, right? Wait in Jerusalem, get empowered. What happens in Acts chapter 2? They were empowered. The Spirit came upon them. They spoke in unknown languages. They were clothed with power from above in order to go and announce that Jesus is king and perhaps to suffer for his name. Chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6. Chapter 7, chapter 8, they're still in Jerusalem and a great persecution broke out against the church. And all except the apostles were scattered where? Throughout Judea and Samaria. When we're waiting, it's hard because we want to get going. And when we've stayed somewhere long enough, it's hard sometimes to get going. The early church celebrated all God was doing in Jerusalem, but it wasn't to be kept there. The mission, right, is local, but it has no fixed address. It's intended to scatter far and wide to every people group on the planet. And so this is the experience of the early church. Maybe you've had this happen in your life before. I have. 
I could enumerate it with great detail for you. I've had seasons in my life of great um, pressure and stress and stretching and suffering. And in the, in the middle of all of it, you think there has to be a great injustice happening. Why is this happening, Lord? I don't understand why you would permit this kind of experience in my life. Only to discover in hindsight, because we discern often looking back. We look back over our shoulder and we see what God was doing in that moment after we've come through it. And all that he's opened up for us. God is not always the one who causes the persecution, but he permits it for his purposes to scatter in this setting the Christians to the places they were intended to go, but they weren't moving. Has God ever had to leverage you to the next chapter of your life (laughs) by introducing something hard because you wouldn't have done it unless you had experienced the hard? I have been there. I have been there. Nobody wants the hard. We don't do our prayer walks and say, God, why don't you give me some more hard? We say, God, please, as Jesus prayed, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. But in drinking the cup, in drinking the cup, there is an experience of the will of God, and there is something that opens up for us that if we don't drink the cup, will never happen. And so persecution broke out. It's easy for us to read it unless we're the ones in Acts chapter 7 being persecuted, right? It always makes great reading when we're outside the story. (laughs) When we're inside the story and we're like the protagonist and everything's being pointed at us, it's like, I don't like this narrative. I want a different kind of story. Can you just fast forward this thing and take me to the other side, please? The early church, the early Christians needed the leverage, unfortunately, of persecution to get them going to where they needed to go. Do you know they often say, and I don't think this is something you and I want to claim, but it's true. Historians often say that the church thrives the most when it is under great pressure from society. When it is out of favor to walk with God is when our greatest moment happens. But see, we don't understand that. We reach for power. We'd rather have positions where we can tell everybody else what's best and right so we head to positions of authority and power and then we'll dictate to the world how they should live. Do you know what? That never works. That happened in Rome back in 300 and it didn't work. Rome actually ended up dissolving. Civilization came to an end there. It's when the church is squeezed. It's when Jesus is in Gethsemane and he's experiencing great stress. He's in the wine press. His greatest fruitfulness moment was on the other side of the squeeze. Are you being squeezed today? Do you feel the pressure? In the moment, we just want to say, God, relieve me of the pressure. I want to push back, get the elbows out, push back. I don't want this pressure. But it's in the squeezing that the best comes out of us. It's when the best comes out of us. What does it look like for us moving forward? I don't know. I don't think this is a prophetic word. Maybe it is. I don't know. But take it with you. This principle lives on. It transcends times and culture. It lives. And maybe it lives in you as an individual, maybe in your family, maybe as a church community, maybe broader as the human human family. So the mission starts at home. 
but has no fixed address. Secondly, the mission includes faith and deeds. I'm going somewhere with this. The mission includes faith and deeds. Um, the mission of every Jesus follower is to please God, which requires faith, right? The, the writer of Hebrews says it's not possible to please God without faith. He says it this way. Now faith, in verse 1 of chapter 11, now faith is confidence, not certainty, by the way. Not certainty, but confidence. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's a confident expectation. And assurance about what we do not see. We don't see it yet. This is what the ancients were commended for. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so if we want to please God, we need to be people of faith, which means that we can't always measure ultimate reality with our five senses. Science is a wonderful thing. It's not faith or science. It can, doesn't have to be either or. It can be both and. But science can only take you so far. As Kierkegaard said, it steps off the ramp of reason. Faith steps off the ramp of reason. I don't know where this is taking me, but I can only go so far with my reason, and now I have to trust. And now I have to believe. And now I have to confidently expect that as I step off, God will be there for me. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the acknowledgement of God in every and every situation we're a part of. So it's only when life gets really, really hard that we get invited more clearly into this acknowledgement. Are you going to acknowledge God in the middle of this? Faith is agreeing with God about what he has said, but it is a way more than just that. Faith is allegiance to God. So it's not about conjuring up a sense of confidence. It includes agreeing with God about what God has said is true. I believe what he said. But now I'm going to put the full weight of my life on him because I am going to be intensely loyal and devoted and allegiant to him. That's faith. That's biblical faith. This is no surprise to you because it shows up in English as well, but in the biblical language, the word for faith and the word for faithful is only one, one character away from each other. So if you're going to be full of faith, you will demonstrate faithfulness. You will have confidence in God that expresses itself in loyal love. That's what faith is all about. It's not just about agreeing with God about what he said is true. If your faith never leads you to lean on God, then you don't have biblical faith. You have something else. You're like halfway there. And so the Spirit will order your life and my life in such a way as to bring you to the end of yourself, to the end of the ramp, and say, are you going to trust me? Are you going to step into the unknown with me? And trust that I will be enough for you when you get there. When your world is falling apart and you can't control anything else, biblical faith says, but God is with me. The medical report may say X, Y, and Z, but I am the beloved of the one true God and he holds my very life in his hands. 
when everything around you is shaking and you've lost your orientation and your way and you don't know what's coming at you next, biblical faith says, be still and know that I am God. In the middle of the vortex, in the middle of the spinning, isn't this what Jesus says to Peter? He says, Peter, Satan has asked you to sit, asked me to sift you like wheat. He's asked to do that. That means to bounce you around in this sieve, save, whatever you pronounce it. And when you get bounced around in there, you'll lose your way. But Jesus says, I've prayed for you, Peter. That when you get bounced around, your faith won't fail. Sometimes we pray the wrong prayers. Lord, keep me from being bounced around. I think you can expect the bounce. And I think you can expect in the middle of the turbulence and the disorientation that God will be tangibly present for you because Jesus is praying for you. I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith won't fail. Loyal love. Faith, trust, and belief are all bundled together, and what we end up learning to understand is that faith includes loyal dependence and deep devotion. And so the mission of every Jesus follower is to please God, which requires faith. And it is impossible to please God without it. And it is also impossible to separate faith and deeds. Uh, James chapter 2. I need to take you to this passage. It's so familiar and so beautiful. Once we finish up with a couple more passages, I'm going to kind of take you to where we feel that God is taking us as it relates to our mission, both local and global. But here's James chapter 2, beginning at verse 14. It is impossible to separate faith and deeds. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? What do you think the answer is to that question? Four or five of us know the right answer. Can such faith save them? It's a rhetorical question. And then he answers. Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, brother, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. No faith without action. But someone will say, you have faith? That's great. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Even the demons, even the demons agree with God about what's true. Even they believe and shudder, and are they saved? Some of you are not sure. <laughs> Authentic faith will inspire action. Um, do you know what we have done in the past when we have not been at our best? We've gotten arrogant as Protestants and we've said, the just shall live by faith. We know what was nailed to the Wittenberg door, the 95 thesis, the just shall live by faith, Martin Luther. 
We're the just because we live by faith. That's a, that's a beautiful, beautiful proposition, and it's true, 100%. But when we have not been at our best, we have gotten arrogant and said, we got it all figured out, and our Catholic brothers and sisters over here who are into works, they're lost. That's not consistent with James. James is saying, not either or, but both and. I love the movement that's out there, at least it has been out there for a little while, advocating for a third way. We've got Protestants over here, we've got Catholics over here. What if we need each other? Because the emphasis that gets put over here and the emphasis that gets put over here are both necessary. If you have faith and according to James have no works, you're lost. And if you think you can work for your salvation because you can be good enough, you're lost. The just shall live by faith. This is something that was done for us in Jesus. The work is finished. But because I have biblical, authentic faith, there will be works in me that are getting started and progressive and moving forward as I head towards the exit door of life. If there's no fruit on the branches, am I a living tree? This is quiet in here today, boys. Do you want your pastor to speak hard edges of truth to you? Some do, some do. You can speak the hard edges of truth out of love and compassion, and I hope I'm doing both. If ever I get passionate and a little bit more intense than normal, I'm not angry. I'm just feeling it to my toes. Feel it to my toes. And I want you to feel it to your toes. And I want you to understand as much as we can with these small little minds of ours, the fullness of the revelation of God's word so that we can live the most fruitful and faithful lives possible. And so we learn from everybody and we choose not to elevate ourselves over and against anyone else, but to get better by being open to what other people can teach us. Most importantly, what the biblical writers set out to accomplish by writing the text as the Spirit carried them along. All right, can I leave you with one more passage then we'll get really specific about King Street. Luke chapter 19, you know the name Zacchaeus, some do. Um, Jesus entered Jericho, this is in Luke 19, and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. You kind of get the association that he was using his tax collector um, occupation to kind of line his own pockets a little bit. He wanted to see who Jesus was, and here's a shout out to all the short people in the world, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. It's obstructed view for Zacchaeus. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Isn't that awesome? Would you be ready for Jesus to come stay at your house today? So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be with the guest of a sinner. you imagine? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, which he probably implies he has, if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Here's Jesus. Today, salvation has come to this house. 
He didn't just say, I believe you're the Lord. He said, if I've done something that I need to make right, I'll make it right. My faith in you, Jesus, will lead me to action. There will be something that will happen. Today, Jesus says, salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. Isn't that interesting? A son of Abraham. Abraham was justified because of his faith. He's a son of Abraham. And yet it's what he did that gets a pronouncement from Jesus. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Love that story. There's hope for the Zacchaeuses in this room today. Wherever you think, you have restitution to make. Jesus makes a way. And he invites you in to demonstrate that we want him in our home. And if he's in our home, he will make some renovations. Jesus comes in as a master carpenter and he sometimes knocks down some load-bearing walls and he recreates something beautiful in us. Renovation of the heart. Dallas Willard wrote a whole book about it. Carpenter Jesus coming to go to work on us. All right. Where does God seem to be calling us to go? This is our third thought. So I'm going to give you, in 10 minutes or less, a um, big bird's eye view or summary of where we're going together on mission as it relates to global partnerships and local partnerships and what this looks like as we move forward together, okay? I think you're going to find this exciting. I'm excited about it. We have five key priorities as a church family. It's very, very balanced. I'm really proud of these. Um, we want to have partnerships that are consistent with church planting, making more and more disciples and helping to start more and more disciple-making communities. That's important to us. We want to help orphans and widows. What does James say in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's what he says. And so orphans and widows is a mark of, of pure religion, according to James. Leadership training. If we don't have leaders to follow our present staff team in the decades to come, we will have a leadership crisis. Do you know that actually on the horizon there is a leadership crisis? We have a significant spiritual leadership crisis in the church. In 20 years' time, if we don't see a change, many congregations will not have a vocational pastor. I'm not sure if we ever shared that with you or not. The demographics are tilted so badly the other way. We're not training as many leaders as we once did exponentially. And so it is a real challenge to find trained pastors to serve. We want to make an investment, at least do our part, to see that that continues. Um, humanitarian needs, right? Matthew 25, uh, Pastor Ken read it earlier. If someone's hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. If they need clothes, help them with clothing. If someone needs a bike to go care for somebody in Africa, we help them with a bike. It's the humanitarian stuff that we look after. Matthew 25, very clearly. And then kingdom announcements, right? The gospel is declared both in word and in deed. Sometimes what we do is we say, I'm going to be doing it with deeds only. And we never get around to actually telling people that Jesus is a king with a kingdom and everybody can be a part of it. We want to make investments in global partnerships with and local partnerships where people are making Jesus announcements. So here they are. Here's our local partnerships. This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. I'm just giving you a little taste of it. 
So every time you give a dollar over and above your tithe to missions or to global outreach or local outreach, it goes to one of these kinds of partnerships. First Light Foundation of Hope in Oshawa. Have you seen the unsheltered need, the mental health, the addiction issue in our own city? All you have to do is drive downtown Oshawa and it's all over the place. First Light Foundation of Hope actually started by a former member of our church who had a, a vision of what could happen in Oshawa and it's been a beautiful story. We wanna to continue to invest in First Light Foundation of Hope. Gate 316 has been around for decades. They help feed and clothe and care for the most vulnerable among us. The Pregnancy Help Center, they are doing a great job of offering um, counsel and support to people who are struggling with difficult pregnancy experiences or situations. We want to make sure that they're still advocating for those who are reaching out for support and help. Church in Regent Park is actually what we used to call Cornerstone where we send teams um, frequently throughout the year to go down and feed on a Saturday night. Church in Regent Park is not self-sustaining or self-funding, so they need external sources of help because of who they're serving. They're serving vulnerable people who are largely under-resourced. And so we want to make sure in our city, Jerusalem, Judea, right, the Toronto area, we want to go to these places too. Master's College and Seminary. We want to give so that both at the undergrad level and at the graduate level, we are equipping leaders who will come behind me and our staff team one day and continue to serve the church in all sorts of different ways. And then we do something here. We've been doing it for, I don't know, at least a decade. It's called the King Street Community Church Compassion Award. Have you heard of this? We actually give, I think it's $1,000, two $500 bursaries to the graduating student from McLaughlin High School and O'Neill Collegiate. And it's right in there, it's right printed in their um, commencement address in their, their, their handout the King Street Community Church Compassion Award to the student who demonstrates high levels of compassion. Isn't that a good thing? So here's the church standing with a graduate from high school in our community to say, we celebrate compassion and we see it in you. Your peers and, your, and the faculty, the teachers see it in you. We want to bless you. We want to bless you. I think that's fantastic. We've been doing that for years. So when you give, it goes to help us do that. That's the local side, and that's not exhaustive, that's just a sampling. And then the longer-term global partnerships. This is another sampling, but we want to be committed in the days ahead to be praying and giving, and we want to go more. We want to jump on a jet plane and go to faraway places and do some amazing things. And so we have adopted uh, two new partnerships. Um, Portugal, anybody want to go to Portugal on mission? I think I'll lead that one. I'm going to lead that one. Um, Jorge and Jacinta Mello are um, re-establishing churches, not just a church, but churches in Portugal, and it's really, really cool and exciting. Guatemala, the Aragons are down there. We've sent youth teams in the past. We want to go and partner with them. Then the Dominican Republic with the Thomases. We've been down there on a few occasions. We want to continue to strengthen our partnership with them. We have chosen these ones specifically because um, it's accessible, it's largely safe, it's um, affordable, and we can navigate fairly easily with the language. And so we want younger and older groups of people to go and come back with reports and go and come back with reports. We're deeply committed to praying, giving, and going. And uh, there are some restricted access nations in here that we can't publish because they're a part of um, serving in, in uh, faraway places that are far more dangerous. 
and uh, we just can't publish those, those uh, details, as you can appreciate. Um, now, here's the short term, local and global, for Christmas at King. Thank you already for 150 shoeboxes. Operation Christmas Child, under-resourced people are going to be helped, and it's awesome. Thank you for doing that. You went out and did the shopping and brought the box back, and we'll make sure it gets to where it needs to go, and we're going to do that. I think it is next week. Um, Teen Challenge, faith-based dependency recovery program. Um, Teen Challenge was overwhelmed by our generosity recently, and uh, they've actually thrown a little invitation for me to go speak to their clients at some point, so who knows? I think I'll end up down there. And, uh, but we want to keep supporting Teen Challenge. We need this in the world that we're living in where addiction and recovery are so difficult to come by and, and faith-based programs. We want to we make sure that they're well-resourced. Uh, again, First Light Foundation of Hope and Hope House. They've actually started leasing a home that helps people uh, in recovery. And so it's not just getting a meal or getting some shelter on the short term. They're actually going living in these places and it's becoming an environment where Christian discipleship happens and they get equipped for living life after they've spent four to six months in the home. It's really, really cool. Angel Tree, incarcerated parents, their children are with caregivers or perhaps another parent. We buy, wrap, and deliver a gift in the incarcerated parent's name to the child to wish them a Merry Christmas. Trying to keep the bridge established between the incarcerated parent and their child who's missing them likely and feels um, overlooked and perhaps um, underserved in so many ways. Wow, Christmas, we just talked about that by putting bikes in the hands of people so they can go and serve. Rose of Durham and the Pregnancy Help Center. Uh, this is really cool. It's both Catholic and Protestant together, both with the same mission. Um, the sanctity of life. We can say amen to that, can't we? Amen to the sanctity of life, and we want to see both of those organizations be well-resourced. So um, the mission is both uh, local and global. And the reason why this teaching was so important, faith and deeds, is because um, we want to be partnering with organizations that as we collectively look at it, we're going after the full meal deal. And that we're doing something to help with leaders and humanitarian and orphans and widows and leadership development and church planting and all that kind of stuff. And, and we just want to make sure that we're, we're doing our part. We don't always get it right, but here's what we aim for. We are a pretty prosperous country, aren't we? You know, and I, and I know even in this room today, there's a various um, continuum of experiences when it comes to finances. I know that. There are some who have a lot and there are some who have a lot less. Um, and, and we see this R word on the horizon. There's a recession coming. With all due respect to the ones who are really at the margins and really struggle and every dollar matters, with all due respect to them, and we don't want to forget them. You know what was really cool last week? Somebody came up to me with a $5,000 donation and said, can you find families in our church and people who are struggling and just you discern and you decide so I get to be the generous distributor of Somebody who has enough, maybe more than enough at this season of their life, want to share with those who don't have quite as much. Isn't that the way the church is supposed to operate? I love that. I love that. That person knows who they are. And... So with all due respect to the one whose dollar is just stretched even more so than ever, you see what goes on in our world right now. Right here in Durham region, we're talking recession, rising interest rates. People are still out shopping. People are still out buying. They're spending money. They're planning vacations, right? 
And that's okay. So we are prosperous in Canada. And so what we've decided to do with our mission dollars is, yes, there are a lot of needs right here at home. And there are a lot more needs in faraway places, trust me. So 70 cents on the dollar goes to faraway places. And 30 cents on the dollar, at least we shoot for it, stays right here at home. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then far away places. We want to be principled with what God calls you and invites you to give so that we can scatter it intentionally into all these environments, trusting that Jesus will exponentially multiply it and see his kingdom grow. Amen to that? All right, so we are committed to local and global. And, um, and uh, maybe in the next three to five years, you'll take at least one short-term mission trip somewhere else around the world and to go and make an investment and a contribution and then come home saying, oh, I saw things I had never seen before. It's part of what it means to be a biblically functioning Jesus-following person is to have an eye on where we are, be fruitful here, and don't forget about over there. I like the way one church has it on their banner outside their building in Brooklyn. It says, help and hope here and there. Isn't that good? Help, it's that deeds thing. Hope, announce that Jesus is king. Here, right in our Jerusalem, and then also there, faraway places. Captures it really well. All right, if you're able, would you stand with me? I, I wanna pray for you, and then most importantly, I'll give you a chance to pray as well before we go. Um, there will be, um, at 12 o'clock, there will be a video uh, that's played right here for our small group communities. And um, those of you who are in small groups and haven't seen the video yet because groups are handling it differently, you'll want to stay here or come back here for noon. And those of you who might be interested in small group communities and you just want to check it out, uh, you're welcome to do that too. And um, thank you in advance for your faithful giving, tithes and offerings, and then um, those giving drop boxes at the back. You can give online, kingstreet.org, multiple ways to do that. Um, it seems like every week I'm getting a note from, from our accounting department because I just send a note to people to say thank you so much for partnering, giving to the Lord through King Street. But people are asking for contribution numbers and wanting to give, and thank you in advance. You're not giving to the church. You're giving to Jesus through the church. And it, it really matters what you do. So, so thank you for that. And um, again, all the announcements we walked through today, all of them can be found on our website. Track with us on social media and uh, do your best to stay current with, with what's happening because it's a busy Christmas season. But are you excited for it? Christmas Eve is going to be awesome. I hope you're planning on coming Christmas Eve. And I know you travel and all that kind of stuff. But if you're not with us, hope you're with somebody else somewhere worshiping God. Um, Christmas Eve just, it just seems so right to hold a candle in your hand and sing Silent Night and uh, celebrate Jesus. Love it. All right. Our Lord, thank you today for your grace and your peace. Thank you for your love for us that never, ever fails. Thank you for the invitation to be people who are full of faith and who live faithful, devoted, allegiant lives to you. Lord, we do not always get that right, uh, but we thank you for your grace and your mercy that gives us second chances and 30 second chances and 3,040 second chances. And you're always inviting us to get up and go again, and to learn and to lean forward with you. Thank you that you support us and strengthen us and that you're with us. You know the needs that are in this place today, God. Some are incredibly overwhelming, and people feel like their world is upside down, and they don't know what to do next. Lord, I know all about that. Lord, for the people who are here today who feel like they are on a spin cycle, and they've lost their way, 
pray, God, that you would just ground them. Ground them, Lord. May they find sure footing on the rock who is Christ Jesus. And when the enemy wants to bounce them around, Lord, may their faith not fail. Thank you, Jesus, that you pray for us. You are the intercessor. And uh, Lord, our name has been found on your lips. Isn't that awesome? God, thank you that you pray for us. What a mystery that is. But we thank you that you care about us. Thank you that you are our advocate. You've put your righteousness over us, God. You've called us sons and daughters, and we can live securely in that reality. And so again, Lord, I can't get past this for some reason. The spin cycle people with what's going on right now is overwhelming. Lord, may they experience the breath of God while they feel the spin happening. Pray, God, for them that they would be held strongly by your grip of grace. And when the enemy comes to whisper that they're going to lose their way, may there be something emerge inside of them full of strength and conviction that they are loved and nothing in all creation can separate them from the love of God. No high spin cycle can do it. No demonic presence. Nothing in the past, nothing in the future can ever separate us from your love, height nor depth, Lord. Nothing in all creation can do that. We are gripped by the God who is love. Amen to that, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for that, Lord. If you're here today, just before we go, and I'm not looking around, and if you're in the spin cycle, can you put your hand up? Not for anyone else to see, but just this is you and God, and I want to pray for you, and this will be an act of faith. Lord, the spin cycle. Uh, back on that theme again, Lord, I pray for the ones who have their hand up right now. Just stuff is happening in their lives, and it's big, and it's hard, and it's overwhelming, and they feel way over their head. God, would you come alongside them in extremely tangible ways and steady them in the face of the spin. Amen. Amen. All right. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his loving countenance towards you and give you much peace and much grace in the generous, kind, benevolent, strong, powerful name of the one true God who is forever Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God bless you and have a great rest of the day.